0: Welcome to the Expat Cast. I'm your host, Nicole Palazzo, and today I sit down with Friederika Schulte. As I mentioned in the teaser for this week's episode, Friederike is a German who lives in Germany but still considers herself a bit of an expat in her own country. So, how can that be? Friederike actually is the director of the Karl Schutzhaus, which is the German-American cultural center here in Freiburg, and through that experience, as well as her own life experience with exchanges to the U.S., she's spent a lot of time in her life thinking about America through the German lens and about Germany through the American lens, so she's got a really cool, unique perspective, and I'm excited to share it with you guys. So I was excited to do this episode also because I've referenced the Schutzhaus a lot (laughs) in the podcast, and I thought it would be nice to shine a light on it directly and and share with you Guys, what is this place? What do they do? Etc. Another thing that was pretty cool about this episode is that it was the first time I took our little makeshift podcast studio on the road, so we actually recorded this at the Karlschutz house while there were children's language courses going on, so there's a lot of phantoms stomping up and down the hallway, and that's because kids are physically incapable of walking to the bathroom. They, they have to run. It's just in their bones. <laughs> um, so if you hear any weird noises, it's not any kind of ghost or something. There's also some city noises you'll hear in the background too, um, but I don't think it's too bad. I think it just sort of adds to the (laughs) flair. So without further ado, let's hear from our German expat in Germany. (music)
1: I'm Friederike, and I'm from Wolfenbüttel in Niedersachsen. That's in northern Germany, very close to the former GDR border on the western side. Uh, but I've spent over 20 years in the Baden-Württemberg area now, in Tübingen, Stuttgart, and Freiburg. You are the director of the Karlschutz House, which I am always mentioning on the show.
0: So I Good. thought it would be cool to, um, to actually get you in the studio so that we can explain what this place is and talk about the other america houses and in germany and why they exist and all that Mm -hmm. and also you have had plenty of experience in the states and i want to hear about that too great i'm glad we get to talk about all of these things i recall you telling me that when you first went to the u.s you went to actually philadelphia right or the
1: area yeah like outside of philadelphia in pennsylvania my neck of the woods yeah (laughs) and you were with the quakers that's right i went to quaker boarding school i love the Quakers me too me too I, I'm not baptized and I never liked going to church but I loved meeting for worship with the Quakers it's, it's very like hippy
0: dippy it's very like peace and tolerance of all viewpoints
1: other than violence <laughs> yeah exactly and they're very easy to get along with the Quakers there a lot of it is about conversation and trying to understand the other person and I really like their philosophy of Uh, what they call mind the light, that every life and every person has this inner light that you should respect and let it shine as well. And that happened during meeting for worship as well. I think the problem I always had with church services in Germany was that it was such a frontal approach, someone lecturing at you and telling you the message of God, whereas meeting for worship with the Quakers is more of a meditation. It's quiet. Maybe someone mentions a theme. And then if you wanted to share something, you could get up and share it with the community. I never did. I was too shy at 16. <laughs> but also, you're 16, right? So there's got to be classmates who just use that to
0: filibuster. Yeah. I've heard of that happening, too, because they do give the floor. They, they have this very open belief of we sit for assembly every day and, and anyone can talk about anything that's on their mind and any issues you have, you air them now. And a 16-year-old right. is for sure going to abuse that. Like, I remember my friends who went to Quaker school saying, like, it was supposed to be 10 minutes, but one guy didn't want to take his math test,
1: and so mm-hmm. it was 30, and that's just how it is sometimes. It is. You knew the people. You're like, oh my God, here he goes. <laughs> and they would get up. And there were some who found their own way of expression. They just did clapping and chanting as well Ooh. for a while. Yeah, it was a, a horizon-widening experience, definitely. <laughs> for sure. And very pretty. The grounds were pretty. And a lot of international kids. And uh, they had a big scholarship program as well. Because it was an expensive school, but they uh, tried to bring in people with all kinds of backgrounds as well.
0: So you weren't just the token European or the only foreigner in the group?
1: No, no. I was. I shared a room with a black girl from Bermuda, and that was very, very interesting. And I, I realized that the school was pretty segregated. I mean, really? there, there were a lot of African-American kids, like 15%, but they sat together in the cafeteria. And I didn't understand that because I had a black roommate, so I would go sit with her during lunch. And be like oh wait a minute you don't do that there
0: are so many moments like that when you're living somewhere new where you're accidentally radical Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have this weird evaluation of okay well then what do i do with this do i shift to fit in with what's happening or the sad
1: thing is you succumb to the the force of the culture that you live in although it might be not a necessarily positive dynamic that's going on it would be good to bring your foreign view more in and keep sitting at the table with the african american kids if you feel like it because they're hanging out in my dorm room as well so i'm hanging out with them why not do that over lunch, you know? And that's that's why just cultural exchange is super great and over-assimilation should not happen necessarily. <laughs> yeah. I like that. <laughs> and then after that
0: year, did you have any other exchange experiences or travels to the States?
1: After that, I went basically every summer. Wow. I went over and visited friends that I'd made during that year, and I had something like a host family in New Jersey that I kept in touch with. My uncle and aunt had friends in Colorado. So you
0: got to see the whole country
1: or, or a lot of it. No one's in the whole place. No, <laughs> there are huge gaps. I've never been to Texas, and I really want to go to Texas. That's been a thing for years for me. No, I've seen a lot of the East Coast, some of the West Coast, and then I've started exploring the Middle a bit more in the past years. So. Middle's great. I know. I feel
0: like it's so often underrated by my fellow east coast (laughs) people and I did it too until I moved to Chicago and met all these people like I never I don't think i know like okay Arkansas was always the example we (laughs) would use in the middle of nowhere like Arkansas you know like Mm -hmm. that was just your go-to and then all of a sudden I'm in a group of friends who are all from Arkansas and they call themselves Arkansans and I'm learning so much about you know yeah and Iowans all my friends were Iowans and Arkansans Mm -hmm. and they had so much to tell me about the landscape
1: that I just had no idea about, and apparently Arkansas is amazing for hiking. There's so much to explore, I just visited Washington DC, New York, and then flew out to Madison, Freiburg's sister city, and I have to say that all the people that I hung out with in New York and DC were, they were very high strung compared to the Midwesterners that I met, but also the Kavanaugh hearings were going on right when I was there, so just the whole situation was super tense, all the discussions were political the whole time, I felt like I hadn't been to the state in a couple of years because I had a kid and I just didn't know how to make it work. And I really felt like everyone was so politicized and all the lives were affected by the politics going on. It was quite astonishing. But nonetheless, when I flew to the Midwest and I started chatting with people, it was the typical Midwestern thing that I just never got out of the conversation. (laughs) They don't like to let you leave. No, but maybe I was like, I can't read the cues or (laughs) are they giving me any cues? Like who's and en- who's gonna end this conversation <laughs> you don't you're just there you're there for forever until someone falls asleep yeah and that's it's kind of <laughs> lovely but there were moments to be honest where I felt where I was like I, th- I think I've said it all how am I <laughs> how am I gonna go <laughs> but it was it was super interesting to see the
0: contrast like that and what a time to be there too I mean that's when I was mm-hmm. in the states too and it just clouds the whole everything I mean you can't not talk about it, and talking about it is tough. And
1: Yeah, I felt like it had become easier for Americans to talk about politics. Like, everyone was ready to talk about politics this time when I was there, but it was such an obvious situation. Like, I remember after the Trump election, I spent New Year's Eve with an American friend living in Ulm, and he had an American friend who's a professor from Penn State over for New Year's, and I gave them the stupid... Trump quote calendar. Oh no! For, for uh, New Year's, and uh, they really didn't appreciate it. Too soon. It's a super funny calendar. <laughs> it's German, and it's it's fake Trump quotes. I thought it was very funny. And then I found out that this professor from Penn State had not discussed the result of the election with any of his colleagues on campus. It was a taboo. They hadn't Whoa. talked about it, and that really shocked me. I was like, well, if intellectual people are in denial about What's going on? Where are we gonna go? And with in Penn this? State, which is right in the center of Pennsylvania, which
0: is a key swing state, and and that's in the heart of the area that pulls it more mm-hmm. red. But there's kids coming in from the cities, and so there's also a big college culture of blue, and that's exactly where you would hope that we are talking about it. And yeah. but you're right. Like at first, I don't think anyone could. It was like a new skill that none of us had learned. Right. And right. now I felt that too and I was back. I was like, hey. It's coming up and people are letting it come up and we're talking about it much better Mm -hmm. (laughs) and disagreeing much better. And I don't know. I think it's, I mean, I hope it's the beginning.
1: Yeah, I hope so as well. You know, some people say finally the issues are out on the table that's good. There have been issues that should have been discussed for years and years, but this presidency, this administration is making it possible to talk about it. I think the guy from Penn State has probably changed by now. Maybe that was the initial shock. As we're sitting here talking about this, I'm having this meta moment of like, we just talked about
0: how Germans are so comfortable talking about politics and like, let's talk about God. How do you feel about that concept Or, or whatnot? And Americans are not greatly skilled in those areas. But then how sometimes certain we were talking about podcasts right and and listening to certain podcasts for you and for other Germans can sometimes feel like invasive and like okay well now you've gone too far and I don't feel comfortable hearing these things about your personal life yeah. and that's so not something we blink at but then talking about Trump is this dreaded thing that of course comes up and, and now we're like trying to figure out how to navigate it but mm-hmm. here it comes up all the time and I feel like that's how I've gotten better at it is I spent time in a place where people just constantly are talking about it asking my opinions about it and I was like well I don't want to
1: but I guess we're doing this <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure it can be uncomfortable as an American here in Germany because the position is so clear and it can turn ugly or a little insensitive or a stupid superior position that people take on. It's like, oh, your president's so dumb or something like that. That's just not productive for any conversation. Yeah,
0: I get on my my soapbox for two topics, Mm -hmm. especially one is gun laws. There's definitely this superior feeling because they know that it's a bad idea. There is no further understanding of why anyone wants that. And the whole topic is just so much more nuanced and takes more understanding than I feel like a lot
1: of people are wanting to hear here in Germany. Yeah, Yeah, that's why, I mean, you know, we have this exhibit on, on gun violence up on our walls right now about 101 survivors of gun violence by the New York photographer Kathy Shore. And I've been wanting to take on the topic for a while, and I've been trying to find like a way how to do it and feel good about it, that it's enriching for Germans to look at it, and it's not reinforcing stereotypes either. And I was so happy when we found this exhibit, because Kathy Shore is really very bipartisan about this, and she's helping the victims with this project, because they... Revisit the places where they were shot. So it's very therapeutic for them. And Kathy Shore goes on to like talk shows in Montana with pro gun people and she di- discusses things. She has NRA members in this exhibit, military people, police, and uh, she's not confrontational. She's a real ambassador for like a healthy, conversation about guns, gun laws, and gun violence in the U.S., and I was really content with showing her work here. And the thing was, at the opening, I decided like to say a few words, like an introduction. I thought, how am I going to do this? And we had researched some numbers here about victims of gun violence, how many women, how many kids, how many a year, how many survive about police violence, and maybe African Americans, things like that. And I thought that would be a good way to just present some numbers. And then while I read them, the numbers, I understood the magnitude. And it was so harsh, all of a sudden, that I couldn't finish reading those numbers. And it was a really awkward moment. And then I I just, I lost it. This thing kind of hit me. I actually wanted to come to that exhibit
0: opening Mm -hmm. and then I realized which one it was and I actually intentionally sat back because I I just wasn't ready for it at that moment I think I was just coming back from the US and coming back from the US during the Kavanaugh hearings and having a lot of I just needed to take my time you shift your mindset when you come here and look back at America And I wasn't ready yet to to be in my German mindset of like looking at things more objectively and from a distance and it felt too close. And so I
1: had to wait. But I think that's a really important point that you're making about this mindset switching back and forth. Like we are a German-American institute and who do we cater to? Like we're trying to present the U.S. to a German audience. And what does that mean? It's filtered through my understanding and everyone's understanding who works here. And then there's... Not everything you can show that would be easily understood by a German public and you have to reduce it and you have to shape it and you have to feel like, am I doing the U.S. some justice? And sometimes you want to do nicer things <laughs> and, um, and sometimes there's great stuff going on in the U.S., but it, it's so cutting edge that, you know, the German audience won't appreciate it yet. I think about a lot. One of the cool good things that's happening in the States right now is
0: Silicon Valley and all the innovation that's mm-hmm. coming out of there. But I I personally am always a little bit rolling my eyes at the way it gets portrayed in Germany, because it's all about the amazing new ideas and this hunger and this endless innovation and the new frontier and all this stuff. But the reality of Silicon Valley and of startup culture is so damaging and detrimental. And I've been to events where you can see someone talking about startups and Oh, the man. eyes just turn into these like mushy hearts and everyone's like, tell me more. And I'm sitting here like, mm-hmm. I mean, I've worked in one and it's psychological warfare and they intentionally do that. And we're not talking about that because the Germans don't want to. They, they, they have such a hard time breaking out of regulations and doing things the way they're done, right. that this is really appealing. And it is important to, to present it to them so that mm-hmm. they can feel empowered to step outside of the line. Yeah. But as someone who's coming from it, it it's just different. And I, I totally get why it happens and i don't know that germany is in as much danger of becoming these this work culture that's so toxic that we need to
1: talk about it yet i think that's an excellent analysis it's so true there's a lot of envy looking at the west coast and every city is trying to build a partnership with palo alto oh, and be dead. a sister city and niedersachsen is supposed to be what is it called saxony valley or something oh, no. you know they think up all these so everyone's like oh no we are connected to silicon valley and there's a lot of longing for this freedom, just as you said. At the same time, it's super interesting that the people making huge careers in Silicon Valley, many of them are German, yeah. to uh, scientists who didn't make it here, like Peter Thiel or people like that who worked on Google Glasses. And I think Trump had his eye on him for a big job as well. So there are, there are many high-profile Germans who go over there. But that means you can't have some other conversations because the address C is just not open for it. Right. What do you do? And, you know, and again, it's not the
0: issue that they're facing. Right in the states yeah. like we could so benefit from sitting down and talking about that more and talking about work life balance and talking about how overtime is not a mm-hmm. given and things like this but in Germany that's not what they're facing. That's that's my second soapbox topic is vacation days. Yeah. <laughs> and Germans get so like ah oh, the American tourists come through and they burn through 12 cities in 4 days and I'm like yeah but you're not thinking about the 10 vacation days that get a year. So mm-hmm. do you want them to stay in the states for their whole life or do you want them to take a week out of the year and take this risk and come here? And they're going to have to do it this way because that's what they can get. But, you know, here where there's 30 vacation days, you're not going to have that same pressure to have unlimited vacation days, quote unquote, which is code word for non-vacation days zero. (laughs) You know, so it's just it's different scenarios. And I think that's part of what's so appealing and interesting about the German-American house here and, and across the country is that they're facing these weird nuances head on and figuring out what that means for
1: everyone involved. Yeah, it is. And every location has different issues. I worked in Stuttgart for five years and there's a big US military community and Daimler and Bosch and Porsche are there. So there are many Americans working in the industry too. So you have the real expat community. And in Freiburg, they're a little hidden and some of them are assimilated slash over assimilated and they're in hiding (laughs) (laughs) and they don't want to participate in our programs necessarily. And um, I'm trying to find out what kind of stuff makes them participate so i'm trying to bring more americans who live in the area together in conversation here on current events politics or what we did like stories from the heartland just discussing a stretch of the country or a myth what is the heartland stuff like that but some people don't want to be identified as an american and they don't necessarily want to talk about the current administration openly and i realize many americans are interested in The whole hanging out concept that is very foreign to Germans, like the Germans love to receive our calendar and they make a little note and there's like, this is a lecture I will attend and this is a movie I will go to. And um, there are some Americans who just show up on library day. They show up once a year when we have basically an open house situation, no event pressure, just to hang out in the hallway. And I'm like, all right, here we go. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. i just cracking um, up,
0: even the, the phrase like this whole concept of hanging out, <laughs> which is
1: so true. I mean, it's, it's so unstructured. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is, and that is the beautiful thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And and what what do we want to accomplish here? We can't really be a friend. You know, we're an institute, we're an open space where friendships can happen and people can connect. But we don't want to be intruding. And some of this is private, you yeah. know. And some, for some people, their very American identity is more private, actually. So there's a lot of U.S. longing going on for people who come here as well. But it, that's changed since the new administration. I think there is, like, a lot of concern and interest and in trying to understand what's going on in politics. You know? And do you want to run us through real fast just what all
0: happens here? So we're talking about the right. events. I've mentioned numerous times the library because mm-hmm. I love it and
1: I have books to return today <laughs> so there's the library there's events ah uh, yeah we have 250 events a year roundabout and that includes art exhibits concerts movies lectures readings by American authors book discussions we try to start new formats all the time we used to have poetry for lunch but I couldn't find any poets anymore <laughs> now we have luncheon and talks my colleague Renee has just started a long reads club where they read essays so there's a lot of stuff to learn about the US but also many discussion opportunities and then there's the library which is open six days a week and kids readings are happening there there's a creative writing group we just had library day with a book sale I think there's 12,000 books magazines more than 50 different ones and loads of DVDs that you can check out it's not academic literature because the university library covers that so many of the visitors can come in and give their recommendations of what they would like to read we have ebooks too And we do Education USA. So if people want to go abroad for a year, not just the US, anywhere really, we help them. And we have language courses. The rooms are booked the whole time right now. There's a kids' academy during the fall break, and they're all dressing up as pumpkins. (laughs) Yeah, for adults, private lessons, everything. And there are, what, 10 other German American houses? Can you run down the locations? You know, this is a kid's, by the way. (laughs) Uh, There's Hamburg, there's um, an American space in Leipzig, there's Cologne, there's Saarbrücken, nürnberg münchen heidelberg Tübingen, stuttgart freiburg and then there's the atlantische akademie in kaiserslautern which is kind of part of the network as well and there's the kennedy center in kiel so there we go 12. all of these houses were founded right after the war as kind of tool of teaching people democracy after the second world war and also trying to bring a positive attitude towards American culture. The funding came from the predecessor of the CIA, and they were solely funded from the US side. And ours was, it was called America House, and it was founded in 1952. Some were founded already in 47 or something. And there were, I think, 50 around the Western sector at the time. But, you know, Germany rebuilt really quickly, and the Americans realized we can withdraw funding from these places. Germany is in a different situation, just in in year 53 or something. But in some places, um, these institutes had become so popular because you have to imagine some cities were destroyed. These places had heatings. They had rock and roll nights, record nights. They showed abstract art or they played jazz. It was quite amazing. But Freiburg is a university city. And so people had really taken to the place. And so when the Americans wanted to withdraw funding, the state of Baden-Württemberg and the city of Freiburg said, we want to help keep this place alive. And that happened to a couple of places. And so they turned into German-American institutes. And now the funding situation is completely different. U.S. contribution has reduced to 5% in Freiburg. It's different in various places depending on their budget. But we're basically all getting the same amount from the U.S. embassy or from the State Department even directly. And we generate 50% ourselves with membership and language course fees as well. And the rest comes from German funding. That's so amazing to think about because I keep reflecting recently on
0: how important this general feel-good feeling about America has been on my personal journey. I walk in somewhere and people find out I'm American and like maybe they make assumptions about my feelings about fried food and guns, but they generally (laughs) feel good about it. Mm -hmm. And there's also so much thanks to be given to places like this they they, they do that work of making people feel good about america and as an american expat or immigrant that's huge i mean that gives you so many benefits and like what a position of privilege to be in to be living somewhere that
1: feels that good about where you come from i mean it's a long history the second world war really plays a big role my mom is 82 so she remembers the end of the war and she remembers her first chewing gum and you know the airlift story how the so-called rosin bomber the airplanes that dropped supplies over Berlin, they've become so famous when they dropped food and raisins and other stuff for the enclosed part of Berlin in the eastern sector. And so Germans have a lot of hero stories of Americans, and I think that runs through the blood of families Like, it's my mom who can tell these stories. It might be someone's grandmother. And then you had a lot of U.S. military living here, but in a peaceful fashion, not in a war situation. And a lot of lovely connections happened. Yeah, I
0: think that's also so huge. The, The military presence is so beneficial on both ends.
1: And it's, I mean, it's diminishing, you know, they've reduced a lot of the military presence. And that's, of course, a good thing. But if you look in the long term at German-American relations from the U.S. point of view, if Americans don't live in Germany anymore, the connection is weakened from, from the U.S. side. What we can do here is try and foster understanding and try to, To bring people together for an evening again and again but experiencing the culture where it is (laughs) is a much bigger experience
0: yeah and actually where i lived in chicago there were two german cultural centers you know so it's also cool to know that it goes both directions i think it's important too like when i was just living in the u.s and not having as broad of a perspective on politics especially i don't think i fully appreciated how important foreign policy is and all of the trickle down effects of that but Mm. stuff like this does tie into that
1: i think what the trouble that the u.s society is facing right now and that means we're facing it at the kai schurz house as well it's like okay great we have a lot of successful events we have 50,000 visitors a year that's a really good number But who are we actually reaching? Are we having a conversation that spreads over the whole of our society or are we just talking on an intellectual crust maybe or a little educational elitist bubble, if you wanna drop that word. And I think that's a conversation that needs to be had in the US as well, like who's actually talking to whom about politics. And that's something that we have to be aware here right now as well. Like, how do we reach other people who maybe vote IFD? How do we Discuss politics with them? How do we get them to engage as well? So that we can be comfortable and be like, yeah, I mean, things are going well. The house is full. That's fine. But it's kind of a self serving cycle. And you have to find other communities. That's why I thought it was super satisfying to work in Stuttgart with the U.S. military community because I just spent two years at the East Coast. That was the Quaker boarding school and then University of Massachusetts and Amherst and the whole Massachusetts, New England, Boston area, university town, and Quaker boarding school, it's you don't get to see the whole of America and you don't experience the whole of society. So I think my American education really continued in Stuttgart when I was working with the military. And I was trying to engage people in this transatlantic dialogue, and it was so satisfying. For me, this place was so instrumental
0: in my first year here because I was able to still access content in the library that felt comfortable and familiar, and I didn't have to work to enjoy it. I had casual conversations with people, not just from America, but from all over the world, and got the perspective of people who are from Iran and there's no Iranian culture center here. And mm-hmm. so they speak English, so they come here and that's the closest they can find to their right. own personal oasis. And all of that combined to become this place that's really special where
1: people can breathe a sigh of relief, you know, mm-hmm. and, and get new perspective. Well, I'm glad you say that. People can, can come in casually and they don't need an agenda and they don't need a special question. They can just come if they want to. And I think you mentioned as well about someone maybe from Iran, the integrational power of, the language that is spoken here, the importance of that cannot be overestimated, because it's really in this triangle situation where you maybe come from a different country, but your German isn't good, but you find a place where speaking English is totally fine. That can be your first step. And feeling comfortable in this place and that's why we got involved in a lot of refugee integration programs as well where we said look we can offer scholarships for some of the refugee kids to take part in our english language courses which means they are in the same learning position as the german kids are and they don't have to be always feeling like they don't know what the others know but they're learning together so we've been able to do that for a couple of years and that's really satisfying that's
0: part of why I wanted to have this conversation with you today so my fellow americans abroad listening throughout germany can get an idea of where the closest place might be and, and go take a mm-hmm. look and see if that's possible that they can go to events or drop by in their library or what have you and again there are, there are ebooks and content that you can access even if you live in a remote village it's open it's open <laughs> to anyone
1: anyone can go in you don't yeah. need like a Uh, membership license or something.
0: (laughs) And I think it's also good. uh, And we have a lot of listeners in the US and I think it's so good for them to hear. You you don't know what happens with your tax money in so many situations or you you hear about the big things, but you don't necessarily know about this. And there are places like this in a lot of different countries and different continents. But to hear how low the percentages of of what we're funding is both comforting to people who don't want to spend a lot of money on it. And also, you know, we're getting the bang for a buck, you know. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much integral work that's been happening that we don't get to learn about all the time. So it's nice to
1: hear. It's great to get the chance to talk about it. It's very satisfying work with all of that's going on in the world. I wonder how I would cope with it if I couldn't turn it into programming. Right? (laughs) It's super satisfying. And also, I am German, living in Germany, but I always wanted to live abroad. But working here is a bit like living abroad. And that makes it comfortable, too.
0: You're like the the German expat living in Germany.
1: (laughs) Isn't that funny? Yeah. A little bit. Like, that's something that before the interview I thought about. I was like, how German do I actually feel? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm very German. And that's important. Like, a topic that we touched on earlier is, like, I like to be confrontational in conversation in a playful manner. And some Americans don't. But I keep doing that Because I don't want to over-assimilate and I don't want to try and be all American. There are many American things that I love to take on in conversation, the easiness or I strive to be as easygoing in conversation. (laughs) But I like to be confrontational and I find that fruitful. And I think it's wonderful to find uh, a good way to disagree with one another. And that is always a challenging game to play with Americans. And I'm (laughs) I'm happy I get to do that on a daily basis. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It was great fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. it's funny here. You get the Americans who are so open to German and European life, that they move here. And then you get the Germans who are so open to American life that they work here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you end up in this fun little middle. But I would also say the episode that came out just after the election results came in was a lot about how to learn to deal with turning these shadow things into light and looking at things more closely. So also a really great topic and people can, can check that out if that's something mm-hmm. they want to hear more about. But There's not much more time left on this one. So we're going to go to the ending segment, which is called Zack, Zack, Zack. I'm going to ask you three questions. You're going to answer without thinking, without overthinking, just your gut. You're ready. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What is your favorite way to say hello or goodbye in English?
1: I like saying cheerio. Cheerio. Yeah. That's
0: good. (laughs) (laughs) If you had to become a brand ambassador slash Instagram influencer for one stand at the Christmas market... Which one would it be?
1: Kartoffelpuffer. It's potato cakes that they fry, and then you have applesauce with them. Sounds good. I've never had it. I have to try it this year. So
0: you mentioned that you lived in Stuttgart before. What's one recommendation you have of things that people should do in Stuttgart?
1: Visit the DATS, the Deutsch-Amerikanisches Zentrum, the James F. Burns Institute, it's called. Uh, The new library is super exciting. And see the building site in progress of the new train station and get lost in that. It's crazy what's going on. They're ripping half the city apart, and that's really interesting to see.
0: Um, I also asked this question because I have one and it's the world's largest pig museum. Do you know of it? No. This is the thing. I have been there and I have never met another person who has been there and I have asked most people I meet who are living in Stuttgart. No one knows it. It's the world's largest pig museum. Ha. Huh. It's in this old castle. Has a big beer garden. It's got like 30 plus rooms. In each room is a different theme of pig things. So there's like the guinea pig room. There's my favorite room was the room where they took Tiny little rubber dinosaur toys, and cut off the heads and put pig heads on, so they're like dinosaur pigs. It's great. It's so great. And I wanted to mention it on the podcast too because, again, I I went and it was the most amazing weird thing I've ever done. And no one has been there, so I kind of feel like I may have invented it.
1: You know? <laughs> no, I'm gonna go. I'm yeah. gonna go next time. I Just really so- would like
0: someone to go and talk to me about it. What is it called? The world's largest pig museum. Yeah. <laughs>
1: the Schweinemuseum Schweinemuseum oh wow I have another culinary thing though for for Stuttgart they have the best pretzels there and living in Baden the Schwäbisch people really they do know how to make pretzels so in Heusteigstrasse there's uh, the bakery Weible and they're amazing Weible in Heusteigstraße great yeah look we've just planned out
0: someone's whole weekend
1: trip (laughs) this is (laughs) great get lost in construction (laughs) eat a pretzel and go look at things Oh and the bar Immer is good too in Immenhofer Straße. Okay. Mm. <laughs> yeah.
0: We're cutting you off now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming and talking to us. Thank you, that was fun. Thank you again, Friederike, for coming on the show and for all of your Stuttgart recommendations. I'll definitely link to some of those places in the show notes. I'll also link in the show notes to the Carl as well as the 11 other German-American centers throughout Germany. I will also post on Instagram some pictures from the world's largest pig museum. So if you're interested in seeing those dinosaur body pig head rubber toys, check out our Instagram at the expat cast. We'll also be on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest, also at the expat cast. And while you're on your device of choice, following us on social media and checking out my weird pig pictures <laughs> go ahead and leave us a rating or review on your podcast app of choice give us a little love. I want to thank as always Gordon Eisenach, my partner in life and in podcasting and I want to thank Amy Linge Art for the logo as well as Side hug for the theme music. You can find them on Instagram too at a hug from the side. Go ahead and subscribe to the expat cast so that you'll get a notification when our next episode is out this one is going to focus on the subject of the expat partner until then have great weeks and if anyone I'm a Harry Potter fan! Enjoy going to see the new Fantastic Beasts movie! I am so excited!